Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. This is episode 005. I'm Scott Nelson with co-host Travis Stowe. How you doing today, Travis? I'm doing pretty good, Scott. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm not doing too bad. You know, we really want to thank all the listeners that have been listening every single week. They've been replying and sending us emails and giving us a lot of words of encouragement. And we're so thankful for that. Thank you very much. We've got a great guest on today, Mark Seacat. He's been doing stuff for a while. And uh, Travis, you know, how did we get this guy on? Where did we find him? Give us a little bit of background on Mark Seacat. Well, Mark, he's actually a really cool guy. I, I happened to Facebook him, and it just happened to be around the time when he was flying in from out of town. He was going to spend a few days with his kids when it just took a few weeks to finally nail down a perfect point. It so happened again that he was flying back from Alaska from a really good trip. And he actually talked about it on this episode, which is going to be exciting to hear about. If you get a chance, um, if you like the, the podcast and, and you keep listening, do us a huge favor. Go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes and, and leave a comment. Give us a review. That's going to help us be able to uh, get exposed to more people and, and bring this educational side and, and the knowledge and these guests to even more people. So let's go ahead and get into it. This is Mark. Hey, Mark. This is Travis. Hey, Travis. How you doing? Pretty good. I also have Scott on the line as well. Hey, how you doing, Mark? Hi. I'm doing good. Scott, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad, but I appreciate you coming on with us. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I'm uh I'm here running uh running triple duty. I got one uh one year old down, doesn't seem to be screaming. So that's a good <laughs> thing. And then we've got a uh three year old that's watching some uh watching a little T V on the computer, so it you might have to deal with me a little bit, but I'm uh, I'm getting there. That's perfectly fine, man. Life uh life happens and kids are great, man. Oh, for sure. Well, I just recently had a, a son November 18th last year, so I'm right in the same boat with you. Nice. Well, cool. You know, we want to kind of dive right into some of it. First off, there's just so many great images of you out there with phenomenal different species and kind of see articles that have been written or you have written. But from, from your mouth, how did you get into hunting? Oh, I basically grew up. You know, I'm from Montana. My parents moved moved out here before I was born. And started started hunting elk. You know, my my dad like answered one of those like elk hunters needed. You know, in the Tobacco Root Mountains in Montana, like we got an overpopulation type of deal in the newspaper. And so he went out to a place and and uh, started hunting on on a ranch in like 1975 or 76. Oh wow! And my mom, uh, you know, my mom killed a killed an elk when. Um, she was pregnant with me in the fall of 78 and I was born in February of 79. So I've been doing it about as long as you can. And Montana's crazy. You can't start hunting until you're 12 once you go through hunter safety. Um, you know, but I started following around, you know, with my dad when I was like four or five and spent a lot of time learning, you know, learning about hunting from my dad and godfather and those type of folks. And, and, uh, yeah, just you know, when I was when I was twelve, I shot my first elk, um, cow elk. At I think I was at like six yards. Oh my gosh! You know, <laughs> and uh, just about every year, other than a couple, um, from twelve to thirty-five. So, a lot of elk hunting, a lot of experience there. I see that you're using a bow, and obviously you're using different types of weaponry. Are you using a muzzleloader, a rifle, as well as a bow, or is it strictly bow these days? I, 
Yeah, you know, I, I hunt with whatever weapon I have available. I try to, uh, um, I think that maximizes your opportunities. Obviously, if you can hunt with a hunt with a bow, hunt with a rifle, hunt with a muzzleloader. Um, I've hunted with a muzzleloader one time. I had an elk tag I drew in Utah with a muzzleloader. You know, I've killed elk with um, rifles and bows and muzzleloaders now. But any anything I can get a anything I can get a tag for, I'm hunting with just about every weapon. I I don't hunt with a crossbow, and um, that's about that's about it. So well, you know. In the past, I read up something about it. You used to be a climber before you really got into hunting or aggressively through hunting, but do you still climb? Um, do I still climb? Good question. Not not really a ton anymore. I, uh, my last big climbing trip was 2008, and I just I just got back from a um, archery mountain goat hunt up in uh, up in Alaska. And the last time I had, I guess I'd been to Alaska in like 2009 on a sheep hunt. And then in 2008 was my last real climb, and I went up there on you know, Denali uh, in the Alaska Range there, and, and uh, um, spent a month on the mountain with five good buddies, six of us total, and, and climbed Denali a few times. And um, I've been I've climbed all over the world, but since 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 I got back in 2008, you know, I met the woman that would become my wife right before I went on that climb. And when uh, when I got back from that trip, you know, I mean, hunting hunting got that much more important in my life, and I always hunted and then I kind of found I found climbing through you know through good friends in college and people that were you know the right kind of mindset of guys that were just like getting out after it and you know the kind of the kind of buddies that were just like hey let's go do this and you know the kind of people you couldn't say no to and and uh, and kind of found it that way and you know met some met some great people and had some great experiences and and I just don't do it it's tough I just don't do it at that same that same level anymore. Do you think that the the way you the aggressiveness that you did when you were climbing did you apply some of the things that you've learned to at least keep at it when you apply to hunting? I think there I think there are two things that you you know you can you can relate a lot between the two the two disciplines really because it's kind of the same. It's a climbing is not a sport. You know you, you don't keep score. <laughs> you know hunting is not really a sport. You're you, you either fill the freezer or you don't. And you know I mean there's there's scores that you can put on animals, but to be honest, I don't really buy into that that much. I think it's it's much more about the experience. And so for the, when it came to like relating climbing to hunting, you know I think a lot of it was like the type of gear. You know like okay wow you know those type of boots that you use when you're climbing are a lot different than what people are you know saying are the boots to use in the hunting industry or the the sleeping bags, the pads. Or the tents or the types of stoves, um, but I, I think I think the biggest relation really between the two is the is the partnership that you have with someone else, and then it's like in climbing, you know, I'm putting my life on the line with this person, you know, and they're doing the same with me. So there's obviously a lot of trust there, which I think is really cool. And I think that you know my hunting partners are the same. I, I would say that it's something where for me, you know, the guys that I go into the woods with are. You know, usually EMTs, usually, you know, spend a bunch of time out there. Could, if something were to hit the fan, you know, they could they could get me out of the woods or, you know, know the necessary steps to, to help make it happen. So I think I think a lot of it's like that. I think there's a I think there's a brotherhood associated with both that um you can you can relate between the two. Yeah. For sure. Well, there's something, you know, kind of jumping back into something you were just talking about, you know, climbing isn't necessarily a sport and hunting isn't necessarily a sport. A lot of the times now you have these large characters that are in the hunting industry that are always referred to as, you know, the athlete. And a lot of companies are are sponsoring and labeling their guys as, you know, an athlete for their company. How does that kind of fit in? Where do you see the the athlete? How do you see that being a tag for so many people in the hunting industry now? Well, what companies do that, right? So, I mean, the... uh... 
companies that I can think of that do that for sure in terms of athletes pick a year. And I think, uh, you know, and I'm a, I'm obviously a member of the, the SICA athlete team. And I, I would say that in in that respect, in terms of SICA, when the SICA product first came out, you know, it was Jonathan and Jason had started a company that was based out of their experiences being athletes, you know. Jonathan being a you know, hardcore guy running around the woods, Jason being a hunter, you know, who played, you know, pretty high level college football, uh, into the NFL. I think that they were athletes and they were I mean, I think that it was a it was an easy thing for them to say, Okay, hey, our team's gonna be called athletes. And I think amongst that group, it's such a it's such an interesting thing because, you know, most people wouldn't think as as hunters as athletes, but if you look throughout that group and if you look at a lot of like guys that I don't know if the if the best term is, they're not the best hunters because we all know that they're you know, everybody out there is a really good hunter. I would say that a lot of guys that get some marketing steam behind them or get some companies that are supporting them for whatever reason, I would say that a lot of those guys are athletes, you know, whether it be college football or however it was, like a lot of those guys push it um, in terms of of being someone that I would say that they're very athletic in what they do. Well, I guess, especially for the way you hunt, because you, you do more of the spot and stock, not sitting in the tree stand. Is that correct? Yeah. But you know what? I'm really falling in love with whitetail hunting, so I won't say that (laughs) I don't do that. Um, It's, uh, I, I, last year I I had uh, my second son was born last fall. And so I got to spend a lot of time close to home here. And we live, we live right you know, on a, um, right next to a whole bunch of amazing agriculture and cottonwood river bottom systems. And I put 26 sits in last year and saw a bunch of great deer, you know, and, and I hunt Ohio every year. So I would say I, I do like that. I'm, I'm getting more and more excited about it, especially when you see some big bucks, you know, I think it's pretty easy to be excited about it. Are you using a, like a tree climber or a, a stand? Um, I'm using, I'm just using stands. I'm using like muddy stands, lone wolf stands. Okay. Um, strapping steps on tree steps on you know i mean and i, I kind of like doing that because i feel like it helps me uh you know, i feel like i earn it a little bit more you know i've never gone on an outfit it's like a hunt it's cool I, I really like it but most of the stuff that i do is like heading to the backcountry spend four to eight nights out there you know i had a 22 day backpacking trip this year in the nwt um so most of it's most of it's just like get out and put a pack on your back and and go and go with good friends and eat good food and you know work work yourself and see if you can find something cool being in georgia i haven't really had the opportunity to do a uh, a backpacking hunting trip but uh, i think every year for the last four years now i've done the at kind of just sectioned and i absolutely love it just getting a backpack getting a couple, a couple of guys and hiking up the mountain and seeing the incredible views having you know sit by a campfire last year i started uh, i used to have a tent now i'm really working with a a hammock and now i'm falling in love with that but uh Going into hunting, I mean, that's one of the passions I think uh, is probably a future goal. Scott and I are even thinking about one day trying to plan a, a hunt out west together, but we haven't uh, found out the place or time, location, all that stuff. But uh, when you go out with your buddies and you are 10, 15, 20 miles into the woods, or is it more of you have a certain area? It just depends. It depends. Certain areas, you know, I mean, sometimes it's deep, sometimes it's close. Like a lot of it's you know, reading maps and figuring out what the elk are going to do, figuring out what people are going to make the elk do. It's just, it depends. It depends. Some of them, you know, when we get dropped by a super cub in the Northwest Territories, you know, we're hundreds of miles from any roads. So wow. it just, it just, who knows? Do you have to do a lot sure. of preparation, like uh, fitness wise? Fitness wise, I, I've always been able to really just kind of rely on, on uh, natural ability. 
I think that in a lot of it, you know, back in the day was okay. I would, I would have a hunting season and then I would have a climbing season and I would have a skiing season. And then it was springtime, you know, and you start, you know, running and getting out there and starting to climb peaks. And I think anymore, a lot of it, you know, just with the, as busy as my business has gotten in this industry, you know, I spend a lot of time at trade shows and, you know, eating shitty food on the road and that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I think the, I think the biggest thing for me is just trying to maintain as healthy a lifestyle as I can in terms of, you know, trying to eat healthy and, and, you know, get good sleep. And I spend so much time with my boys. I really don't, I really don't know how people find time to work out the way people work out. I, I'm um, right there with you. I used to go every, almost every other day until my son was born. Now I seem to spend more time with him than get out there. I do as creatively as yeah. I can inside the house. And I mean, I, I feel the same way, you know, it's just like, I would rather be home. I just got back yesterday from a from a hunt adam foss uh one of my good buddies had a uh, mountain goat hunt on kodiak island in alaska and he killed his goat on the second day and i bailed out to come home and spend some time with my family because i'm gearing up for uh just a, a whirlwind november and and crazy crazy a lot of hunts going on here in montana so i just bailed out to you know run back home and i think that that's uh that's kind of how I look at it most of the time is how can I maximize my time with my family? Um, you know, how can I eat as healthy as possible? And my hunting season pretty much lasts from, you know, July 15th to December 15th, January 15th, depending wow. on the year. So if I, if I don't really do a lot during the off season, you know, I end up, I like to say I come into the season fat and happy and I leave like, you know, really fit and strong. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see, uh, We'll see how long that lasts, but it's, uh, um, I'm always looking into ways to do different things. I just, I just don't have a lot of time to, to... Your wife's name's Katie, is that correct? My wife's name? Yes. Katie? Yep. Yeah. It's, does she still hunt with you, or does she spend just more time with the kids? You know, the last couple of years, we haven't got a chance to spend as much time together in the woods as we, as we did before the kids. You know, our, our, my wife and I's, uh, first date was, she showed up in Montana and we were trying to get together for a long time. She was living in uh, Jackson, Wyoming. And we were trying to get together and she was like, Hey, I can come up first real weekend in September. And the first weekend in September in Montana is the opener of archery elk season. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, this is what, this is what I do. And, and so we went on a, we went on a five day elk hunt together and, and, you know, from then on, she was just like, this is cool. This is fun. And, and it's, uh, and we hunted together a lot. We haven't done as much, um, just because of the kids and, and our business, you know, it's, uh, we haven't done as much hunting together, which I think we'd like to do more and we will do more. Um, but right now our priority isn't to spend time together in the woods together. Um, one day, probably whenever sure. the kids get older. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You said something about your business. Uh, what exactly is it that you do outside of the hunting industry? Or is this collided together? Um, my, my, so my, my business, which I started with my wife, Katie, in 2009, is called CCAT Creative. And we are a full-service uh, marketing creative agency uh, in specializing in the hunting, fishing, and outdoor industries. Oh, very cool. So we work for a couple dozen clients worldwide helping with everything from authentic imagery to full-on um, social media campaigns to print campaigns to ad buying to um, web design high-end video production you name it we do it you know as far as as far as hunting and cool collaborative people and and fun places go i would say it's it's right up there with any other 
company in the hunting industry. It's a neat company to work for and work with. And yeah, I, I pinch myself all the time. Just, we have such great people and what we get to do is, is really, really fantastic. It's a job you thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I absolutely love it. But the coolest thing is that between myself and Katie, there's 11 other employees that, you know, they really love it. They, they love the opportunity to, to pitch on, okay, hey, I want to do, I want to do an elk hunt. I want to go to Saskatchewan for an early season, you know, goose hunt and get paid to do it and pitch about it. You know, I mean, I want to go, I want to go on a sheep hunt. I want to go on a goat hunt on Kodiak Island. Like our guys, it, it's just really fun. It's really, it's something that, you know, we, we provide our clients with amazing solutions for the business applications that they're looking for. And I've, one of the reasons why is because we really love what we do. I would say that like our number one tagline, our mission statement is to provide an authentic image for the hunting consumer. You know, something that it, it doesn't matter if you live in Montana or if you live in Georgia or if you live in Alaska, you look at the image and you're like, I want to do that. That's real. It's not fake. It's not Photoshop. It's not bullshit. It's exactly what I could do and what I want to do. That's what we do. So for the uh, the movie, that obviously everybody's been talking about it, but it was the Searching for West. Was that okay. your company collaboration? Yep. So Searching for West, yeah. Searching for West was a, was a collaboration effort between, you know, a, a few different ways. Searching for West came about. Sitka Gear has always been a great uh, supporter and a great sponsor. You know, they were like, hey, we'd like to build a video. We want to create a piece around your elk hunting season next year. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. You know, we started getting ready and getting, getting excited about it. And, and I think we, we got we got an approval on the funding in October. Huh, what year was that? October of 2010. And in December of 2010, we found out that Katie and I were going to have a, a baby um, that next fall. And so it was just like, ooh, you know, here, here we are. We're going to try to tell a story about elk hunting and uh, fall spent hunting and we're having a baby and it, it, it became apparent right away that it was just like you know what that, i think that's that's the strongest story here you know is, is talking about what it's like to have a little one and and have an elk hunting season and i i reached out to a really good friend of mine and and uh, christopher murphy uh, who owns a production company here in bozeman who's just really really talented and his team his team said yep We'll jump on board. You know, I mean, none of us made any money with it. It was a passion project um, for sure, but it was, uh, we put a lot of effort into it. And um, it's a cool piece. I really, I really enjoy it. Some people love it. Some people in the hunting industry, it goes over their heads. You know, some people are just like, I don't, I don't really get it. They didn't kill anything, you know. And uh, yeah, for me, it was just, it's a cool, it's a cool snapshot of, uh, of a year, uh, fall, and some, you know, it's a, it's a cool scrapbook piece, and you know that that fall, you know, I I found a new area and and was was trying to learn it and trying to figure out how to hunt it, you know, while we were filming that piece, and and you know that that year didn't work out. The next year I killed a giant six by seven, and last year I killed a even bigger six by six. So it's uh it's something where everything comes with time. Yeah, what? and it was a it was a cool it was a cool deal. What really caught me on that video, the the film of it, was that a. My son was born on November 18th, and even though I haven't really had the opportunity to go out to the extended hunt four, five, six days, it's usually just a day here and there, and especially that year, I even had a chance to hunt, and yet, um, once he was born, and I started watching that film, I almost felt like, okay, I'm drawn to wanting to go hunt, but then when I finally did, 
I was drawn to want to go back home. And I connected with that video. But um, when you go hunting, it doesn't look like it's just you. I mean, you, you seem to have a crew with you as well. How hard is it to go hunting and as have a crew try to film and do all these things at the same time and keep everything running? Um, it's a, it's a, it, really, it really depends on the trip, you know? A couple things, like most of the time it's me and like one buddy. Um, you know, if we're doing something special that we want to film, you know, we're, it's a bigger group. This summer we had a guide, an assistant guide, and five members of my team, including me. And so we had seven people on a 22-day backpack hunt in the Northwest Territories. And, you know, we were filming that one. So some of them are bigger projects. Um, I would say 95% of the time we just, we, I just go hunting. And I would say, you know, of that, like I would say 98% of the time, it's just Adam Foss and I hunting together. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we, we take one camera and we pass it back and forth, take pictures, do some video. It's, it's usually it's usually pretty simple, you know. It's not as much of a bunch of people following us around as, as you would think. It's just, it's, uh, it's just running around the woods, you know, having fun. So with you guys doing those extended long trip hunts in, in the middle of nowhere, how do you guys approach the, the factor of being in the middle of nowhere? You don't have power. You know, when you're talking about cameras and, and batteries and just daily life living out there, how do you battle not having electricity for, you know, the stuff you need electricity for? Typically, you can just run back and charge a battery when you're back when you're back at a cab and you can't do it when you're out at camp. Yeah, it, it, once again, that you know that that depends on the trip. On um, on this last trip to NWT, for example, we took we took enough batteries, you know, for our camera systems uh, and for anything that we needed. We need batteries for to last for 12 days. So, and after 12 days, we you know met up at a lake, had a generator flown in and recharged all our batteries. Had a couple pelican cases waiting in the base camp to recharge. So we can carry enough batteries for our filming systems spread out between a couple guys or two guys for 12 days, no problem, and still be able to move around you know pretty easily. So I think we're doing a better job than a lot of production companies out there in any industry to be able to do that. Um, and I, I think a lot of the reason why is we're used to spending time outside and we're not really being hampered by heavy loads. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's strong people and, and uh, I think we can spread out the, the weight a little bit. But we just got back from a trip and, you know, we, we were packed up and loaded for seven days of uh, seven days of a hunt, seven days of food, four guys. So that's 28 days of food total. And we killed, we killed our mountain goat on day two, you know. So we still had 20 days of food with us, plus all the batteries and everything else. And we had to load up uh, mountain goat, which, you know, they're, they're, it's a serious animal and a lot of weight to get out there. And it took us about eight and a half hours to hike back to the trailhead from where we got the goat so was there uh, any snow in that area at the time yeah at the time we got we got hammered i one, I, I think that it's a, i really can't wait for people to see this piece we're doing a piece um on the guide in the outfitter up there um but it was it was one of those situations where we we got a goat like right at the beginning of a, a big storm you know the storm lasted you know about 16 hours by the end of the storm, we had three feet of snow, um, and I shot, you know, hundreds of photos and a ton of video during during even the worst of the storm. So it's really going to give people a, a chance to feel, you know, this is what it's like. I mean, the the, the video stuff is is pretty incredible, and the, the I think at one point on on Kodiak, um, one of the weather stations recorded. Uh, wind gusts of 85 miles an hour oh while gosh. we were out there in the middle of it, and we were completely exposed. I mean, just just two two man tents, and and uh, you know, right at the top of the 
of a face that was, you know, you look down off one side, it's the ocean. You look over the top of the other ridge, it's the ocean. So yeah, it's a, it was, it was a really cool experience. Definitely. With all the different years of hunting that you've been, um, do you have one that kind of resonates with you that you just remember? It was more focused towards like when you used your bow, do you have a hunt that you're like, this was the best hunt I've ever been on? Um, I've had, a, I've had a lot of really, really good experiences. I can, yeah, I can imagine it seems, um, it might be hard to pull one out. And yeah, you know, I, I had a great hunt with Adam Foss and Tom Foss and Jeremy Hatala at the uh, Dana River Outfitters. And I think it was like 2010 and we were all bow hunting and Adam and I each killed mountain caribou and they were, Adam and Tom were also on sheep and we never connected on sheep, but that was, a, that was a really good one. Just a, I think that one for me was a good eye opener on how hard archery hunting animals and the, you know, big, big mountains are. And, you know, I would say the, the hunt that I experienced this summer that when we were up at Arctic Red, the long one, you know, it was, it was fantastic. It was archery only. Uh, we didn't even take a rifle. You know, I mean, it was it was commitment to, to archery, and we we hunted sheep and caribou, and and uh, I would say without a doubt, and we'll we'll start releasing some information about that hunt, you know, in the coming weeks, coming months, and then a film next fall probably. But that was that was definitely without a doubt the best hunt I've ever been on. That's awesome. Well, you know, so I spent the last four years out in Colorado. We're starting to see this huge, I, I guess, influx of these teenage kids to the mid 20s that are trying to make that push to become you know the 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 pro hunter and quote unquote pro hunter and that's kind of big been a big topic of debate is you know there's no such thing as, as a pro hunter you don't get paid to go out there and, and kill the kill the elk or you're not get you're not necessarily getting paid to go on that goose hunt but there is the guys that are like you that have have found a way to take those hunts and those opportunities and, and turn it into a career um, that actually physically makes them an income. Can you talk a little bit about your perception on that and shed some light on it for these guys who are trying to get to that side of the industry? So I, I, I agree. I agree with the early statement about like, there's no such thing really as a professional hunter unless you are a, an actual pH, you know, which is the term for guide in, in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, and those guys that are, you know, guiding people and taking them out. So it's, it's often, it's often misinterpreted and mislabeled in the States, in Canada, as, as far as, you know, here's what I do. Most of the guys, like when you think about it, most of the guys that are, that are saying this kind of thing and doing it are, are, are television guys. I, I don't think that people really understand what goes into getting a television show on the air. Um, you know, and it's, a, it's not like these channels are, you know, really coming coming after people and saying, hey, we'll pay you to put your show on the air. It's, hey, you guys pay us to put your show on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so that's kind of what's going on. And I, I think for, for what we do, we've always looked at it as having a good time, number one. And it's never been about, you know, how much money you can make or those type of things. We oftentimes make poor decisions associated with <laughs> what we love to do and what we get paid to do. And I, and I think that that. You know, that's kind of where, where it separates it a little bit because I'll do just about anything to give one of my guys a great experience. And if we don't make any money on it, that's okay, you know, as long as they get a good experience. Um, I think that we are we are diversified enough, uh, uh, you know, amongst what kind of services we provide that we can do a lot of that kind of stuff. And we, get, we oftentimes, you know, do get opportunities to go and, and do really good trips and, and make money you know, because of that. But most of the time, most of the time it's us saying, okay, Hey, 
we really believe in this. We're going to figure out how to go pull it off, how to pay the outfitter, how to make sure everybody's, you know, covered. And then after the fact, you know, we'll see if we can market the imagery and then market the content uh, in a way that hopefully covers our expenses. So basically um, the, the passion came first and then if something else, if the funds come with it and money comes after, that's even better. It seems like, it seems like that's always the case. And it happens, it, it, it happens by nature in the, in the, in the timing associated with hunting seasons in North America and the, the, you know, fiscal years that a lot of companies have that are in the space as well. You know, we kind of have to, you know, front it and, and, and crush it on the front end and be like, Hey, here's what we got, you know? And, and, you know, I think the cool thing, the difference between what we do and what a lot of people do is we're not necessarily tied to, you know, having to have a kill shot or having to have an animal that gets killed. You know, we made it about sharing the experience and, and hopefully, you know, getting people excited enough about seeing that experience to want to do it themselves. Makes sense. I mean, you're, you're pushing the, the heritage of hunting. It wasn't always just about the kill before. It was, always, it was meant for food. And then people on TV have made it about killing, at least for like shots after shots after shots. And then now it seems like the industry is slowly moving into, it's not really about the killing. It seems to be more about the experience. And that's what really draws people in. Because if you can have the experience, you would be more willing to go out more often. They have that moment of like relief, the enjoyment, it's everlasting. And uh, if you can capture it on a film, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think we're kind of pitting ourselves against the people that have to kill big ones. You know, all the time, it's just like, okay, well, you know, we're the we're the experienced guys. We're the guys that are just trying to support having a great time out there. And if you get a good one, awesome. But there's going to be times that you don't get a good one. And if you can be happy still, like when you don't get one, then that in and of itself is a success. And if you get a chance to be out there, like, just being out there is amazing. So if you're out there, you know, you should be happy. And, and I think the big thing is that people that are getting into it or people that have been in it forever, I, I think the big thing is not saying I have to kill a big one or I can't kill one at all or it wasn't a successful trip because I didn't kill a big one or I didn't kill anything. And if you start looking at it that way, my own personal opinion is that you're losing sight of what it's really about. And you know, it's, uh, for me, it's always been about like being out there, challenging yourself, having a good time, soaking it up, you know, just having having an experience out there that fuels you for the next week or the next couple of days or the next time you get to go out. When you, um, sure. some of the videos I've seen, and you said that when you go hunting, you, but you try to go after the hardest hunt, but more the purpose is to define yourself for that particular hunt. Like what resonates with you? Like what brought that mindset when you do go out for those challenging hunts? I guess, I guess, you know, as I, as I think more about, especially those type of quotes from searching for West, I really try to think when I, when I think about how I approach it, it's not like this, this year, for instance, I went to a spot for the first four days of the two days before archery season opened for elk and the two days, you know, Saturday and Sunday that they opened. I saw 35 bulls, 35 branch antlered bulls, 26 points. Wow. And I looked over a lot of them. I looked over all of them, obviously. And there was only one that I would have been, like, really excited to go after. Um, and I think for me, it's, it is that older age class animal. It's, it's something that it doesn't have to be big, you know, but if it's older, that's, that gets me excited because that animal is really smart and I get to go and I get to test my skills versus that one. And, you know, for me, like, that's what it is. So 
by the end of the season, you know, this year, this year, for instance, I had a great trip up in the NWT. I came back. I had an awesome time, you know, the opener of archery where I spent two days hunting for myself. Then I went up. A buddy of mine drew a special tag where I spent six days hunting up there. Came back, took another buddy out for three days, went to Kodiak Island for, I guess it's been six days that I was up there. So I haven't really put a lot of time towards my own hunting. Really, just two days where you could hunt, four days of a of a trip, two days of scouting. So for me, I just like I kind of like spreading it out as much as I would hate it if my wife, who's probably in the kitchen, you know, from here, can hear me. You know, I like spreading it out. I like having as much time out there as possible. I like the change in seasons. I like going from a bow to a rifle. At the end, if I if it happens that I don't get one with a bow, like, you know, I've got an eleven week hunting season that I get to experience everything from hunting in flip flops to hunting in <laughs> Los Portiva Spantix, you know, high altitude mountaineering boots and freezing your ass off. And, you know, the only thing that I really care is that like if I do pull one out of the woods, like it's for far enough back that I've had to earn it. Uh, the days of me loading up a loading up an elk like full into a truck are over. <laughs> like I don't I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because I just don't like I'm not looking for that experience. You know I mean someday it'll happen and I'll be like wow that's yeah, that was really nice. You know it's a lot easier on your body if you can you know load them into the back of a truck with a with a farmhand. But just we're loading bone down elk in the in the back of pickups and drinking warm beers, you know, when we get back there, you know, it's just like whatever was left in the back of the truck, you know, I mean, it's just, I think for, for what I do, like, I like going out there and I like seeing as many elk as possible. And I don't really get too excited until I see one that just has some sort of a characteristic that jumps out at me, whether it's, you know, a beautiful main beam or a, a great fifth or whatever it is, like something that jumps out that's just like, wow, that thing's interesting. That's like, that's worthy of me like ending my season. Because the moment you pull the trigger or shoot an arrow, like if you've done your practice, it's like you're going to do what you went out there to do. And the moment that that happens, like your season's over for your own personal hunting. I can go with friends and I do that all the time. I like it. I like having that tag kind of burning a hole in your pocket and, you know, pushing you to get stronger and hike further and check out new places that you haven't done and, it's one of the beautiful things about living in Montana, you know, and it sounds like for you guys, you're, you're trying to figure out some of those hunts, like, in the future, like, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado for elk hunters, like, just buy the tags, you know, and just go, go experience it, start doing it, because, I mean, it is so good, you know, <laughs> it is so good, and if you're a hunter at all, like, you'll absolutely love it, and the sooner you start doing it, the better you're going to be, the more experiences you're going to have when you're too old to do it. And you can look back on them. So as of now, me and Travis, we both live down here in Georgia. And there's the hunting mentality down here. It's obviously not spot and stock, but it's mostly, you know, you, you hang you hang a tree stand, you watch the wind. And there's a mental side to it of preparation for the entire off season to pattern a single buck that's been on your property. And, you know, hope, hopefully you got the right wind conditions, the right weather and the, the deer's in the right mood. And, and your tree stand works, you know, living out, living out West, living in Colorado, I was hunting, I was hunting at 11,500 feet a season ago. And just the difference between that glassing, trying to find something and covering basically as much ground as you possibly can to get to vantage points. So it, it's a completely different type of hunting. And that's, it's one thing that, you know, I, I hope more people get out and, and get to experience it. Cause there's growing up in the South, you, you never really realize 
that that is that kind of hunting exists where you're moving all day long trying to chase and trying to outsmart an animal on the fly where here you're trying to outsmart them before you even get into your stand right you know and this yeah. is one question I, I like asking um our, our, a lot of our guests that come on you've been around hunting since you were born literally and you've been in the hunting industry for quite a while what's something in your mind that sticks out that that has really changed within the industry <clears throat> I'd like to think that people's imagery is getting is getting better. It's getting more authentic. And I'd like to think that that my my own beliefs and the, the the photos I've taken and and the people that I've influenced have had a lot to do with that. Really, you know, I started I started working in the hunting industry in like 2003, and I would say that without a doubt, like it's changed a lot since that time period. The the grip and grin used to be such the standard. <laughs> and um even in advertisements uh-huh. you know and i think now i think now that 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 has that has really changed you know and it's changed to like people packing out bowls and people doing all kinds of things that are real authentic beautiful parts about hunting and i think that you see a lot of people like trying to emulate that and do it doing it the wrong way and it's really easy to see if somebody's being authentic or not you know i think the the hunting industry has changed into you know something that i think it's for the better really i think there's you know kind of an unwritten code on you know what people will share and what people will do as far as marketing materials and i think it's it's gotten better it's gotten a lot better well, how have you seen the demographic change, or, or has it changed in, from from your view? Um, I think the demographic, you know, I mean, I, obviously the number of hunters is is growing, you know, and I, and I think a lot of that there's there's been a high influx of people that are they're getting into archery, you know, some of these really cool movies that you start seeing and and stuff that's been coming out, you know, whether it's Hunger Games or Brave or you know these things that are influencing younger younger generations, you know, I think we're seeing more archers. I clearly have kids. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, more and more kids are getting in the NASCAR <laughs> because of cars and cars, too. And, you know, we've got all these crop duster kids, you know, because of planes and planes, too. But I, I would... <laughs> I would say I would say that it, it, it's a the, the demographic is expanding in terms of you know there's a lot of the old guard is still there but I would say that there's a new breed of hunter you know that's that's pushing it out there you know both in what they're trying to do and the and the message they're sharing and the type of imagery that they're promoting and you know I think it I think it's really cool to be a part of that crew going into with the the family aspect of it because your kids are fairly young you said two and one correct three year old three and one year old. And one, okay. Now, well, I guess the three-year-old's walking. Have you introduced hunting to him yet? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my my son has been in, you know, whitetail, uh, ground blind. He's been on antelope hunts. West has been. Um, Towns isn't exactly, you know, walking yet. He's just, you know, just turned um, a year in September, but he's crawling really well. And like, I, my my son's got a little longbow. Uh, West does, you know, and he shoots his arrows at our right our targets and and that kind of stuff. And you know, my 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 son gets a every time I go on a trip, I just, you know, come back from Alaska. I brought him, I brought him a, you know, stuffed, stuffed animal moose. You know, he's got elk and mountain goats and bighorn sheep 
and, you know, mule deer and, and all that kind of stuff. So hunting for him, you know, and then you look around our house, we got a couple mounts and our garage is you know, filled up with, with gear and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think for, for us, my kids are really into it. And I think it, it helps them, you know, my, my son Wes, like, if he's eating, like, prime rib, it's easier for us to tell him that it's antelope because he loves antelope. And we think that the reason why is because he went on an antelope hunt. And so he'll eat that. If you say it's beef, he's just like, ah, oh, I don't like beef. <laughs> you know, but if you tell him anything is antelope, he'll eat whatever it is. And I think that that's, that, you know, that makes me smile. I, I hope that, you know, my my kids love it as much as I do. And, you know, I know that, you know, they're going to grow up in a household that is pretty open with it the same way I did. And, you know, my, my parents loved it. They fed us on wild games. So it's pretty cool to be you know, doing the same for my family. It's going to be a new, I guess you would say tradition for my family because my family, we never really had a hunting background. I just happened to get lucky enough that their neighbors were hunters and they brought me in. But so I'm kind of going on a whim. And as my son's starting to get older, I mean, he's not a year yet, but I figured eventually I'm going to want to start introducing the outdoors. I mean, we go hiking and we've actually, in fact, last season we went uh, camping for the first time with him. And that was pretty impressive. Everybody thought we were crazy because he was so young and it was so cold outside, but Georgia, truly cold. Not really. But um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses, if he enjoys the outdoors, if he even catches on to the idea of hunting. And uh, because I haven't, I was never brought up that way, I'm kind of going blinded. So uh, it's going to be an interesting experience for me. Yeah, I think kids are going to, like, just the nature of, of the beast, they're going to be interested in whatever you're interested in. Whatever gets you excited, whatever makes you smile, whatever makes you happy, you know, the kids are going to be into it. My, my son, Wes, is obviously, like, he gets a chance to be right in front of it. One of his favorite people in the world is Adam Foss. And Adam's got all these archery hunts that he's always going on. We've got a, you know, 120 yard range here at our house and he gets to hold Adam's range finder. <laughs> and, he, you know, and he gets to, you get to tell him, you know, what the distance is, although it's like oftentimes checking. <laughs> he gets to hand him arrows, you know. I mean, I think that, like he gets to take his little longbow out there, and you know, he gets to wear his, his little custom thick gear outfit, you know. And I think that I think that anything your kids are into, and one one really cool thing that like I haven't mentioned here is that my 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 parents, my dad was born in Indiana, my mom was born in Florida. They met in Florida when they were, my dad was going to graduate school, and my mom was going to college. My dad went to Emory in Atlanta, and he like hunted and he killed turkeys and he killed deer and he hunted with a recurve down there and he did all the things that you're talking about doing and when it came to his his time to like figure out what he was going to do he decided he was going to move to montana because of hunting and fishing because of what it is like out here and he moved you know and he just decided that that was where he was going to go and, and i think that like i could have could have been any either of you guys sitting there saying i didn't really get introduced to it you know and here i am and i think that if you're into it and you love it, like, you know, and you give your kids the opportunities to come out and do it and go with you on trips to Colorado or wherever you end up going, wherever, they're going to love it. And the more people that are doing that, the, the more chance hunting has of, you know, just being that much more protected because we need people that are looking at it this way, that are happy, excited about it, thinking about the experience, using the, the game for food, not just care about the antlers and how big stuff is or whether or not it makes the record book and all that kind of stuff, you know, the more people that we have that are getting into it for these type of reasons, you know, the more that the, the general outside folks that aren't hunters hopefully can look inside. I don't care if they, if they like it or not, but if they can look at it and respect what we do. I agree. And respect 
why we do it. Um, you know, for me, I've done it my whole life. I love the taste of elk meat better than I love the taste of just about anything else. I go every year because my, my parents went every year because we created tradition. The same way some people watch college football or go to hockey games or eat cheese in Wisconsin or whatever it is. Like these, <laughs> these are the traditions, these are the traditions that we have. And I think that, you know, I'm going to pass them on to my kids and it's a cool thing. It really is a cool thing. And, and I, I worked different jobs. I was an elk hunting guide I at the, during part of the year, and then I supervised an ecological research center another part of the year. So I gotta, you got to be on that elk hunting side, and you got to be on the Patagonia fleece wearing side. I think that any time you can connect with different people about what it is that your passions and have those conversations and, and not necessarily convince or change people's minds, but if you can get them to respect it, I mean, that's, that, that's cool. If I can be a good ambassador on why hunting is legit and why it's cool and why it should be protected, then I'm doing a good thing. And if my sons grow up to be to be hunters, then I have passed that along. And that's that's the ultimate test for me, really. That's great. When you started out hunting, you, you didn't wear camo, from from what I could read, anyways, in, in some articles. And then you made a switch over and, and started playing different camo patterns and what really made you change where did you have an aha moment or was there material that you read that really changed your mind on it where'd that come from well it was kind of an interesting time so for me i had always been in hunting from a you know from being real little and it, it, i think i was like i think it was like six or seven when i stopped doing halloween and i was like nope i'm not getting dressed up like we're going i'm gonna go with dad and we're going hunting and we went like every friday night through every Sunday night when I was a kid. So for me, it was just like, okay, like I'm going to get out there. I never really was into technology growing up. I was just in the, into going, going hunting. So I had experiences with all types of different clothing and that kind of stuff and horrible camos and, and, you know, didn't really have the best gear until I went to college and I went to school, school for a year in Colorado. And then I came back to Montana and suddenly here I am, you know, in Montana and I'm, you know, doing more climbing, doing more backpacking, uh, starting to get into ice climbing and rock climbing. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, geez, like I'm going to run over, you know, to the tobacco roots and, and, you know, hunt elk. And, you know, and I'd fill my elk tag every year and, you know, an elk goes a long way for three guys living in the house in college. And so I think for, I think for me, I, I was like, okay, the gear that I'm wearing in these other areas, like are better than the gear that I'm using you know, this camo stuff. So it wasn't very long into that where I can look back and see pictures of my buddies and I wearing mountain hardware jackets and Patagonia jackets and, you know, ice climbing pants and, you know, lost Sportiva boots and that kind of stuff pretty early on, you know, in the, in the hunting stuff, like my early 20s. So I think that aspect, it was like, okay, you know, I, I was wearing that stuff. And I just happened into a relationship with Sixth Gear. You know, I, I was working at Mystery Ranch Backpack, and I was answering the phones and, and doing that kind of stuff. And a pair of size 32 mountain pants would show up every Friday afternoon, addressed to Mystery Ranch, and, and a couple of our guys had traded a backpack for some some sick gear, and, and it was size 32, which you know I'm like a, a 34 by 34. And so I finally was just like, hey guys, like I called up the shipping department, I was like, hey guys, I, you know, you're you're sending a pair of size 32 pants here every week. There's got to be some sort of error in the in the system, the shipping system. Um, you know, is there any way we could, you know, maybe I could get a pair of size 34s? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, 
their initial catalog was different. It was experiential type imagery. This was before Gore-Tex had, had jumped in and, and before Optifade and that kind of stuff. And my, my biggest archery elk is a great 6 by 6 that's, you know, north of 370. And I shot him wearing a, a green top and khaki mountain pants, the same mountain <laughs> pants that I got, you know, the same mountain pants that Sika sent me when I was like, hey, guys, you're out accidentally sending us parasite 32s every year or every Friday. And at that point I was like, man, the solid stuff is perfect. Like I don't need to wear camo. I just, I just want to, I'll use that. And then, and then Gore showed up on the scene and, and uh, you know, we got a chance to play with Optifade. There was, I think four or five people had Optifade before it was ever really released to the public. And, we got a chance to play with that stuff and just had some just some crazy experiences and it was new, it was different, and it was a great thing for me for my business and and uh, so we just kind of dove all in there and, and uh, started using some some camouflages. Um, but I tell you, it made it 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 has made a difference. It's a cool product. I like the science behind it. I like the more than anything else, more than like how cool the technology is on the camouflage and then the products, you know, I, I really do, I really do value the, the people that work at those companies and what they've done for us and, and my family and my employees and, and you know, just the, the, it's just a lot of really good people at that company. It seems like with you know, the, being at the right place at the right time as well as some creative thinking, you were able to uh, have some fun with it. Yeah, Definitely definitely one of those situations that right place right time willingness to take a risk and the support from very supportive family and, and circle of friends that were just like go for it right place right time and uh like you know, so much great. of hunting <laughs> yeah for sure it's it's so true it's so true i mean there's, you can prepare as much as you want and do everything the way you want to do it and, you know i mean you're really controlled in those environments with food plots and white tails and wind directions and when you're going to sit where and everything and suddenly a buck shows up that you you had no idea even existed mm -hmm. same thing for elk sometimes sometimes you get lucky and you know you gotta soak up those moments too and act like you meant for them to happen mm -hmm. absolutely you said that you have some upcoming trips where exactly are you gonna be going um i've got some trips here in montana i'm uh i just got back from alaska and i've got a um which I, I was actually saying, I was highly envied because when you told me you were just flying back from Alaska, I was like, oh my gosh, I could just imagine how cool that would have been. Yeah, just a, just a fantastic trip. And, and whenever I get a chance, if I'm not the primary hunter on the hunt, and this one was Adam Foss's, I, I love to go. Um, but if I'm not the primary hunter, if, if somebody kills early, like, you know, if I can get a chance to come home, I try to come home. And it makes a huge difference for, for me just because, you know, the, the time I get to spend with my family is... Uh, most cherished time I have and so it's just like I was able to come home you know seven days early and it's just now I can always say that sometimes it works out sometimes you get to come home early it's a good deal but I've got I've already had a jam-packed year I left July 11th to go to Canada um got back August 9th from that trip so it was like 30 days total and then hung out in Montana for a little bit hunted some elk, ran around. I had some, some buddies with special tags. Now I've got Montana Antelope, which is an annual trip I do um, out in eastern Montana with my dad and my godfather and close family and friends. And So we'll do that. And then the opening of rifle elk season is, is next weekend. So I'll do that and stay out there for probably five or six days. And, and I have pretty much a, a consistent trips 
uh, all the way up until November 18th, where I'm just kind of in and out, five days here, five days there, home for a couple days, restock, wash some clothes, do that kind of thing. I head to Ohio on the um, coming up here in November and uh, going on, you know, nine days of sitting in a tree stand for big bucks on a great buddy's place in Ohio and. So I'm really excited about that. And then I come home and, and we'll do Thanksgiving. And then there's just a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of waterfowl stuff. You know, like I'm getting into stuff because of my employees. I had a, I got a guy on my staff that's just a, a crazy waterfowl type of guy. And, and, you know, so he's getting me out there doing that kind of stuff, which is fun. And might do a late season archery hunt for mule deer in Idaho. And then there's always coos deer and, it's just, it seems like to be, to be really honest, like I turned down so many opportunities to go hunting anymore, um, just based on how much time I want to be away and what's important. Mm-hmm. I get to meet some incredible people and I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people really, really take good care of me and a lot of very generous folks for sure. With kind of wrapping up with the conversation, some of the things that you were saying that you've gone to all these different locations, especially where you're going to be going, with all the different hunts that you go into, are there any things that are essential that you have to have every single time? Uh, Either it's going to be the certain clothing or it's going to be a certain weapon that you're going to carry or optics or what exactly are, like if you have a top five, what would those be that you always carry no matter what hunt you're going on? Um, Without a doubt, optics, got to have them. Always take them with you. You know, I mean, everything else, the bow, it's fine. You need one of those. <laughs> yeah, um, you don't want so to be throwing that, rocks. <laughs> that's on the, it's, on the, it's on the list. So definitely the definitely the optic. And, you know, for me, my, my big thing, I've been working with Leica since I got started. Love them. Love their cameras. Mm-hmm. Like, love their cameras so much that I was like, I, I got to find a way to work with these guys because their cameras are so good the number one thing outside of that for me backpacks super important um take them on every trip doesn't matter where i go what i do i use stone glacier backpacks clothing is obviously important i use the thickest stuff boots are really important for what i do i use uh las Fortina stuff and then good food you know i mean the i think the behind the scenes side of what we do the the preparation for trips like kind on a 22 day uh, expedition backpack hunt and like that's a serious project you're not and, just and eating ramen think, <laughs> yeah you know I, I don't think i don't think people realize like the amount that goes into that we bring all of our own food on any kind of outfitted trips we do just because we have a system where you know we're consuming around 3700 calories a day we've got it kind of dialed as far as the number of bars that we will have and that kind of stuff so food's super important that's kind of my list pretty much everything we got yeah i think one side twist when it comes to your hunting with carrying all the food in you have so much food that you're having to prep and bring with you and off the side of that if you're just doing just a backpacking trip not necessarily hunting you usually have that end goal if it's a two-day three-day a week trip you know it more towards the end you have less weight to carry back but when you're going hunting you know that as you're slowly depleting the food if you finally do get the animal you're going after now you have more weight than you came in with and on top of that all the gear and everything else so it's like you finally get close to that point, like, oh, it's almost over. But then you get this game animal and you're like, oh, my God, now I have to carry this on top of everything. I can imagine that uh, is a little bit of disappointment on top of the enjoyment. The first time you do it. The first time. Okay. And then it's like, okay, yeah, this is the, okay, this is the name of the game. And that's what you're trying to do the whole time. The whole time you're trying to kill something as soon as you can during a trip. You know, if you're out there for seven days, it's you're 
and day one would be great. Day two would be great. And, you know, if you kill them on day seven, you got the lightest load coming out, you know, but that's the nature of the beast, and that's why that's, that's part of it. And, you know, the best part about that is, you know, hopefully you got really strong friends. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was on an elk trip last season out in Colorado and had a couple, couple of buddies with me. And I, I, I took off on, on a path trying to get across the ravine, trying to get to the other side of a ridge. And one of my buddies stayed further back and radio, radioed to get our other buddy up there so we could kind of figure out where things were at. I got to the other side, and my buddy radioed over to me and said that he finally just met up with the other guy. They found him. By the end of the night, we all met back up back at, back at camp. And uh, one of the guys looked at me and he's like, listen, um, we're really good friends, and I'm glad to be here but we walked through about a hundred yards of what you walked through. And if you shot something, it was you packing it out. <laughs> they'd, they'd been up there already for, for three days and hiked through all of that. And they're like, had you shot something the first day, we would love to help you pack it out. After three days of hiking up through that same ravine, it's no, they, they were flat wore out by that point. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot of stupid stuff and killed some, killed some stuff in horrible places. <laughs> it's um, worth it though. It really is. And I mean, I've been down that route, you know, kind of what you just mentioned. I have sat next to a buddy where we looked at an elk that was way far away and a, and a beautiful bull. And he was just like, we would have had done something really stupid to get to him as far as covering a lot of terrain and horrible conditions. And he flat out told me he would never do what I just said that we had to do. <laughs> and there's nothing that could do to change his mind, you know. And it comes down to your partner, you know, in a lot of aspects. Like you got to have somebody willing to do whatever it is that you want to do, experience whatever it is you want to experience, and it's completely selfless because they're willing to do, especially when it comes to elk, because elk are big, heavy animals, and you're gonna earn them if you kill them in shitholes. And that's uh, that's really kind of where you got to go find them. Test your true yeah. friendship at that point. <laughs> It really is. It really is. And it's something where, I mean, I've worked my way through partners because people, like, I packed a lot of elk for a lot of friends that I didn't kill the elk. And I've had a lot of friends do the same thing for me. And you find out really quickly in a friendship, an elk hunting friendship, whether or not you're you're willing to do that for somebody. <laughs> if you are, I mean, if you are, it's going to be a great friendship, the kind of ones that you just want to soak up every moment. If you're not, you don't run elk with them again. Mm -hmm. It's pretty quick. So I've been on both sides. As painful as that is to, to say and, and do, like, it just doesn't always work out. It's like any relationship, you know? I mean, my wife isn't the first girl I dated, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that, you know, because I got to find what I was looking for. And it's the same thing with elk hunting partners. Like, not everybody's going to be the best, and you got to you gotta figure out how to get to that for sure. What's the best way, if someone wanted to follow you, what, what would be a good way for them to reach out to you or just to know what you're doing and keep up to date? I think the best thing right now is, is Instagram, really. it's uh, You're going to see a lot of really just exactly who I am on Instagram. It's not just hunting. It's a snapshot of really what my life's like. And, and you know, I think, I, I mean, I, I imagine people that don't know much about me that are just like, oh, that guy's a hunter, you know, show up and they're like, man, he posts a lot of pictures of his kids, you know, <laughs> but um there's some beauties in there you'll find some good hunting content but what's the address or your your uh, instagram name my uh, instagram handle is west w-e-s-t-c cat after my son it's pretty easy but that's a good spot to follow but well great if, um, you like, if you don't like kids don't sign up though <laughs> don't, don't sign up to follow because you're going to see a lot of my kids getting, getting introduced to the lifestyle that we live so well mark thank you so much for coming on and talking with us because I mean, you did share on a lot of what it's like being out in the 
at least hunting West and the different styles. And Scott, did you have anything else that you might want to ask? No. Um, you know, on, on a side note, I would love to talk to you at, at another point in time, just, uh, you're, you're in Montana and that's someplace that, you know, I cannot wait till I get the opportunity to go. Just, um, to me, Montana is just the, the Mecca for me to get out and go fly fishing. And I'd love to pick your brain sometime on, on where I need to go out there. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I caught my first fish on a fly rod when I was four. I've been all over the world catching fish on fly rods. Montana's pretty epic, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. you ever want to come out or like putting together a, a trip at some point, just, just send me up and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. That's yeah, awesome. The, yeah, that's, uh, you know, just thank you very much for coming on with us. It's a huge honor to have you on. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully somebody that's listening out there, maybe this pushes them over the edge. They're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do that trip. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna say yes to my buddy that you know, wants to run out west and go on an elk hunt, or I'm gonna get started hunting. Who knows? You know who's gonna who's gonna hear this thing? But I, I appreciate the questions and. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you guys, and and yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. So thank you very much for having me. Maybe a future date to have you on again to uh, ask other questions that might come up. Yeah, for sure. So well, you guys take it easy. Good luck the rest of the season, and, and you too. Uh, we'll uh, we'll chat with you soon for sure. All right, absolutely. Well, take care. Okay, take care, guys. Yeah, that was a really good interview with uh, Mark. What do you think, Scott? He's such an amazing guy. He's so diverse. He's done so many different things and you can really tell he has a passion for the outdoors he he gets to live the dream he's out in montana in the wilderness with just great support team built around him so it's refreshing to talk to a guy like that who's so grounded and i think it's great as well that he, it's not just him wanting to achieve these things he's trying to also bring his kids up as they're growing into it He's allowing them to be a part of it, which I think is amazing. This was a really good interview. And guys, if you want to get all the show notes that we've done about this podcast, go to mybowrush.com forward slash 005, and it'll take you right to this episode and you'll be able to read all the information that we have about it. And remember, uh, if you listened to it and you liked it and you liked something in the past, you know, make sure to check us out on, on social media. We have more information that's that's up on those sites. You know, We're on Instagram or on Facebook, of course. Do we have a Twitter? Yes, we have a Twitter. Uh, And if you get a chance, if you can, uh, go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. Leave a comment, leave a review. It it would help us greatly. And we really appreciate you guys taking the time to go and do that. There's some really cool stuff coming up in in the upcoming weeks. You know, a lot of guys have been out there hunting hard five or six weeks into it at this point. And you know what's right around the corner, right? Oh, yeah. The rut. It's coming up. You know, it's all across the U.S. It's spaced out quite a bit, but that is one of the funnest times for a hunter, I think. So again, kind of alluding to some stuff that's coming up, check out all of the social medias. We got information on some guests that we'll be on. Awesome. And as always, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. And as David out of Nebraska says, whether it's tree stands, blinds, or stocking, when you're shooting those arrows, it's Mother Nature doing the talking. Happy hunting, you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya.